0: Amen. Thank you, my brother. Great job as always. Great job to all of you, man. Y'all sounding good tonight. I love that song. It talks about um, calling upon the name of the Lord and keeping our eyes above the storms and uh, the storms of life that we face, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Now, I'm thankful this evening that I can call upon the Lord, and he hears me. How about you? He hears me, but folks, he also helps me. I was just thinking today, do you remember the story about um, Peter walking on the water, coming to Jesus? I love that story. What a blessing that truly is to me. Peter gets down out of the boat, and by faith, trusts that if Jesus is out on the water, and bids Peter come, that Peter believes then too, he can come on the water because the Lord said so. And so he gets down out of the boat and starts walking on the water going to Jesus. And the Bible says that whenever he saw the wind boisterous, he saw the storm that was raging around him, he took his eyes off Jesus and he saw all of those other things that he began to sink. Now now this is what gets me. We know the greatness of Jesus. We know he's God because he has all power over um, the matter he created. He is able to walk on the water for he created the water. He spoke the water into existence. He's great. He's God. He's creator of all things. And so he's out there walking on the water coming to his disciples. We know he's great. But let me tell you what blesses my soul. We also know he's good. He's good because when Peter called upon the Lord, the Bible says immediately Jesus reached down and rescued him. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, Peter, you took your eyes off me and you began to sink, swim back to the boat. He didn't say that to Peter, did he? He didn't say to Peter, it's your fault, you've made a mess of this that I was trying to do for you. Now you get yourself out of it. That's not what he said. He, He reached down, the Bible says, immediately, as soon as Peter called on him. And brought him back up out of the water. What a blessing that truly is. Jesus is great. He is God. He is creator. He is Elohim. But now listen to me. He's also good. And he wants relationship with each and every one of us. And whenever we call upon him, he hears us. And he helps us. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Praise the Lord for it. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter number 8. And um, tonight we're going to be back there starting in verse number 28. I had a dear brother in Christ ask me just last week. He said, he's been watching our our services on Facebook Live. And he said, "Brother, are you ever going to get out of Romans chapter 8? I said, well, brother, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that I want to get out of Romans chapter 8. I I really don't. I I just keep finding um, these great blessings to those who are born again. I I want to camp out here for a while. And I'm enjoying it. I hope and pray that... That that you are as well. I hope and pray that you're getting something from it. Uh, but uh, listen, uh, I, I think that uh, uh, there, there's a whole lot more here that we can see. There's no doubt about it. And it just keeps getting better and better, or gooder and gooder. That's what my son Gage said years ago, and never forget. We were, uh, I had just let him try some watermelon bubblicious bubblegum. He was probably three or four years old. and He's chewing on that man just. Getting after it, and I could tell he was like it. And I said, son, what do you think about that? He said, daddy, it just keeps getting gooder and gooder. Well, that's kind of how I feel about Romans chapter 8. It just keeps getting gooder and gooder every time I look at it. And so tonight, uh, Lord willing, we're going to try to get further in this. I don't know how much further we'll get, uh, how much further we'll, we'll have time to go. But uh, we'll go as far, far as we can until the Lord says quit, then we'll stop. But what I want to do is just read for you verses 28 through the end of the chapter. I'm gonna, we're going to pray about it. And then we're going to try to come back and unpack as much of this as we can. Look what it says in the 28th verse. And we know that all things work together to the good of them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Then he says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And so Paul says, What shall we say then to these things? He says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any thing to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. I love that verse. Let's go on. Verse number 34, Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. If you believe that, say amen tonight. Conquerors are those who have victory. And I'm telling you folks, if I've learned one thing from Romans chapter 8, well from all the book of Romans thus far, I've learned that we have victory in Jesus. We only have victory in Jesus. Victory is not found anywhere else. So he says we are more than conquerors through, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. and I want to thank you for loving us. I'm thankful tonight that uh, nothing can separate us from your love if we've been born again into your family. How good that is. We thank you for this truth. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you make this real to us as we study your word. Lord, I can do nothing in and of myself and my own ability. I want to do nothing in my ability, I want to tonight preach this message not in my power but in yours. So, Holy Spirit, I relinquish my will to yours, and I pray that you would fill me up, use me, pour me out in the lives of these people. Have your way and your will in this service. Every prayer that's prayed, every message that's preached, every song that's sung, may it be uh, may it glorify you, for you alone are worthy uh, of worship, honor, and glory. And we just ask now, Lord, uh, that again you would meet with us. Give us a fresh anointing, a fresh touch. Do your work that only you can do, we pray, in in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I heard a story years ago about a very wealthy man, a billionaire who passed away, and he had a a very valuable art collection. Some say uh, that the collection was priceless. And so the moment he passed, art dealers from all over the world um, could not wait until the auction took place to sell off uh, the billionaire's art collection and so the time came and all of them came to new york city to a fancy art gallery downtown and were the the auction house where they were going to be selling off the man's art collection and one of the stipulations in the will that the billionaire made is that the first painting that had to be sold was going to be the painting that he loved the most his most prized possession it was a painting that his little boy had painted for him it was a self-portrait it was a portrait of the father that the little boy had painted and it was just a child's painting little more than a stick figure but the father loved that painting more than all the priceless works of art that he had in his collection and so his stipulation was they got to sell that one before you sell anything else. So that's what the uh, the auctioneer did. He puts the painting up there in the middle and he starts the auction and nobody bids on it. Nobody wants the painting uh, that the the billionaire's son had painted him. And so uh, the auctioneer goes on for about a minute. Nobody bids for five minutes. Nobody bids ten minutes. And nobody is bidding on this painting. And he's working as hard as he can work trying to make it happen because he knows nothing else can happen after that until this first painting is sold. And all of a sudden, a man comes walking into the auction house in the back, a feeble little old man walking on a cane, and the auctioneer recognizes him. And the man that walks in recognizes the painting. And he walks up, and he's fumbling through his pockets, and pulls out $2 that he had in his pocket, places the bid on the painting, uh, and buys it there for just a couple of bucks. And this... Little old man that walks in was actually the butler of the billionaire that had died, and he loved the son and knew the son, recognized the painting and put a bid on it. And so then all of these uh, very wealthy, very powerful people that's waiting for the real auction to start, man, they're excited and they're clamoring and uh, and man, the place is is it just really in a rumble because now we're about to get down to business and start selling off all of these priceless works of art and so the auctioneer then raises up his gavel slams it down and says the auction's over see the old man also in his will had said that anybody who loved his son enough to buy the painting not only would receive the son's work but would also receive all the rest of the art collection see years before the old man had made it in his will, put it in his will, that if you loved the Son and received the Son's work, that you then got all the benefits of the Father. And and so folks, the the point that that I'm trying to make to you tonight is that we find here in Romans chapter 8, all the benefits that comes to us who have trusted, received, and loved the Son. (laughs) And and, and that's really what Paul is outlining for us here in the eighth chapter of Romans when he's talking about all the freedoms we have in Jesus. We need to realize really who we are and what we have in Christ. And we've saw a lot of things thus far. First of all, we saw that we are free from judgment. How many of y'all thankful for that tonight? The Bible says, Romans 8, 1, that there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus took our condemnation and set us free when we placed our trust in His finished work. The Bible also teaches that we are free from defeat. We don't have to live defeated Christian lives. We are no longer under any obligation to the flesh. Now we can live and operate, walk in the Spirit and be pleasing unto God the Father. We can truly live the abundant life because now God lives in us in the person of God the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised up Jesus to walk in the newness of life has raised us up also so that we might walk in the newness of life from our spiritual deadness and so i'm so thankful for that this evening and then for the last two weeks we've been talking about how that we are free from worry as a child of god because there's no desperation to the child of god we don't live in desperation when we realize three things first of all we realize the hope we have in Jesus for eternal life with God Himself. Look what Paul said, Romans chapter 8, verse number 18. He says, I reckon that the present sufferings, or the sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul is saying, the things I'm going through now, the stuff that I face in my day-to-day life, the sufferings that we all face from time to time, they're not even worthy to be compared with the hope we have for a better tomorrow. The hope of eternal life with the Lord. Now when we realize that, uh, then we can face whatever it it is that's happening in our lives without desperation. Knowing God has promised eternal life For all those who have believed on Jesus. But now last week we also saw that we don't have to live in desperation because of our sufferings that we face. And we all face them. But we don't have to live in desperation because then we've got a prayer partner. Do you remember who our prayer partner was? It's none other than God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verse number 26 that likewise the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Folks, I want to tell you, God the Holy Spirit prays for the believer when we don't know how we should pray ourselves. Have you ever been in that place in your life when you don't know what you should pray for? You don't know how you should pray? You really don't know what God's will is? Well, I am so thankful that God the Holy Spirit in those times prays on our behalf because He knows the will of the Father. Listen, He knows what we need. And so we have the prayer partner of the Holy Spirit that helps us through the present sufferings that we face in this life. I'm so thankful we've got a home in heaven to look forward to, but we're living now in, in a lost and dying world, in a world filled with sin where sufferings are going to be common to each and every one of us of some sort or another. So I'm so glad that we've got the person of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside to help us, to pray for us, to lead us through whatever it is that we face. But now there's something else we need to see. If we're going to be free from worry and not live in desperation, not only the blessed hope of eternal life and our prayer partner, the person of the Holy Spirit, but you also need to see God's perfect plan For your life. Do you know that God has a perfect plan for you? Do you know God is fulfilling his purpose in the believer in many different ways? And he's doing it for his glory and for our good. Let me tell you why I say that. Look at verse number 28. And we know that all things, everybody say all things. Now, when I'm saying when the Bible says all things, what does it mean? Everything anything you can bring up, whatever it is. I'm talking about all the things that you perceive to be good and all the things that you might even perceive to be bad. God, because He is sovereign, is at work in all those things to accomplish His purpose for His glory and for your good. Isn't that amazing? I love that. I'm so thankful for that, and you ought to be thankful for that too. I'm talking about in times of blessing and in times of burden, God is at work in your life. Even in times of great suffering. Keeping this in context, that's really what Paul is still talking about in verses 28 and 29. He's still making it clear to us we don't have to live in desperation and we are free from worry because God is at work in our lives accomplishing His plan, fulfilling His purpose for those who have trusted in Jesus. Even in the midst of the suffering that we face. Now, I know we've talked a whole lot about suffering in the last two weeks, but but I want to go just a step further with that tonight before we go any further. Now, folks, how many of you know that as a Christian, we can and do suffer because of one of two distinctly different reasons. We can and do suffer as believers because we stand for that which is good and right and right. And holy. That type of suffering that comes to our lives when we stand for that which is good and right, and holy, is known as persecution throughout the New Testament. And I can promise you, if you're a child of God living for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, making a stand on the absolute truth of the Word of God, when you do that, you're going to face suffering in the form of persecution. Not because you've done something wrong but because you've done something right. And I think that's what Paul is talking about with these early believers in Romans chapter 8. These were people who were living for the Lord. These were people who were walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were doing what they could do to stand for Jesus each and every day. And they were facing persecution and suffering because of that. And if it's true for them, I can promise you it's also true for us today who were living for the Lord. Let me give you some verses tonight that tells us that very plainly. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, the apostle Paul told Timothy, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. If you're living for the Lord, you're living godly in Christ, you're going to face persecution. The lost and dying world will come against you. Let me give you what Jesus himself says. I want you to keep your place there in Romans chapter number 8 and flip over with me to John chapter number 15. Watch this now. John chapter 15, look down at verse number 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, when Jesus uses the word world here, what's he speaking of? Is he talking about the rocks and the rivers and the trees? Is that what he means when he says world? No, he's talking about the world system that is against God and against God's truth. And we know that that is certainly... Um, At work in this world today, a a system that is against God, brought about by the power of the enemy, by, by demonic forces at work, at play in our world. The things that we're seeing even right now all over our nation, I believe, has a lot to do with demonic activity at work. I think racism is an act brought about By demons themselves, I really do, and I've got uh, some scripture for that, but that's a different uh, lesson for a different day. I'm just saying the enemy is against the things of God, and against God's truth, and listen, he is the prince of the power of the air, the God little g of this world, that is the head of the system that is against God and against His truth. So the Bible says, if the world system that is against God and against His truth hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen, everybody say chosen you, but chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus said, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. Now, how Jesus was persecuted, I believe is exactly how we will be persecuted. You say, brother, does that mean that we're going to to die for our faith? Well, that could mean that for many Christians throughout the centuries and even today uh, in other parts of the world they are certainly dying for their faith willing to give the ultimate sacrifice for the cause of Christ that that don't mean that's going to be true for all of us but I can promise you if you are living godly lives for the Lord You will be persecuted, and persecution comes in all types of different shapes and forms. I mean, you know, a lot of times persecution comes in the way of people talking about you. I'm talking about saying untrue things, mean things about you that you know is not true, but they spread those rumors and say all that stuff to try to bring you down and hurt you, discourage you. That is a form of persecution. A lot of times people will mock you. Amen. I've, I've had that happen to me. You've probably had that happen to you. If you are trying to serve the Lord and live in a way that's pleasing unto him. Uh, that's a form of persecution. No doubt about it. Yeah, I don't even mean, you know. They said wrong things, untrue things, mean things about jesus they called him a son of beelzebub or a son of satan himself they called jesus a false prophet they said all of those things about jesus that were untrue if they did it to him they'll do it to us how you know they mocked jesus on the way to the cross even standing at the foot of the cross they mocked him some of them said if you be the son of god then bring yourself down off the cross you said you would uh, tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. If you can do that, uh, then save yourself. They were mocking him there. So if they talked about Jesus, said untrue things about Jesus, they'll do it to us as well when we live for Jesus. Amen? If they, uh, if they did it to him, if they persecuted him, they will also persecute us. Sometimes persecution can come in the form, hey, you may deserve a promotion at your workplace, but because you don't live in a way that's pleasing to those in leadership, but you live in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord, maybe you don't get that promotion. Sometimes that happens. That's a form of persecution. Sometimes you're not accepted into those certain circles at your workplace or at your school or wherever you're at because you choose to live in a way That's pleasing unto the Lord. You choose to be what God saved you to be by His power, which is a light in this dark world. Now, when you live in the light, you're going to become a direct contradiction to those who are living in darkness. Your life is going to become a conviction to them. No doubt about that. When that happens, you will face persecution. I'll go ahead and say this. If you're not facing some type of persecution, you're not living for Jesus. You can tell a whole lot about people by who their enemy is. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm glad some people don't like me. It's okay. Not everybody's going to like you if you make a stand for the things of God. You say, well, I just don't know if uh, if I'm being persecuted like I should. Well, you just keep living for the Lord. Believe me, it'll come your way. You just keep standing for truth. You don't have to go looking for it. It will come your way. Let me tell you what you can do in today's climate if you're going to stand for Jesus and and find persecution coming your way. Stand for the truth of the Word of God where it says that God says marriage is between one man and one woman. See if people won't come against you for that because they will, I promise you. It's amazing to me that those who preach tolerance uh, like nobody else are the least tolerant when you don't believe like they believe, when you don't want to live like they live. when you want to say what's right uh, and what's wrong, they become the least tolerant of anybody, I promise you. If you want to face persecution today, say that there is only two genders that we have just one uh, uh, just a, a male gender and a female gender. That's, that, that's how God created it. See, that, that today, man, that, that will certainly bring persecution your way. I never thought we would come to the place where we had those discussions, but we're here now. The devil is doing absolutely everything he can to attack absolute truth. So when you stand for the absolute truth of God's precious word, you can bet persecution will come to you. Not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. Sometimes we suffer. Folks, because we stand for that which is right and good and holy. Where do we find the things that are right and good and holy? Where do we find that? We find in the standard of God's word. we, we got to keep standing on the precious promises of the word of God. we, we got to keep being willing To stand for what God says, even when everyone else seems to be going the opposite direction. I heard a story one time about a pastor who was preaching the truth of the word of God. And a member of his congregation came to him and said, Pastor, you're rubbing the cat in the wrong direction. And he said, well, that cat's headed toward hell. If he'll turn around and head the other way, I'll rub you in the right direction. Folks, listen to me. Don't be afraid to go against what's popular. Just because something's popular and in the moment don't mean it's true. We find what's true in God's precious word. And as Christians, as those who follow Christ, we must stand on that. We must stand for that. We're going to keep preaching the word of God, we're going to keep teaching the word of God. We're going to keep believing the word of God. We're going to keep living for the word of God. Because without that, there is no power. Without that, lives can't be changed. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the precious word of God. So we must stick with the stuff. We must stick with the standard of God's word. Now, I'm telling you, once you do that, you will face persecution. But that's all right. God's got you. We talked about last Wednesday night after service just a little bit that one with the Lord is always in the majority. And I still believe it. God's got you. I'm not going to worry so much about what men say because men didn't die for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. Stick with him. Love him. Serve him. Stand with him. Stand for his truth. And it's so important. Sometimes we face suffering in the way of persecution. But now let me say something else. We can also face suffering not because we've stood for that which is good but because we've done that which is bad. Years ago, had a man come to me, dear brother in Christ, and he had made some decisions that was costing him greatly. He had actually um, entered into an extramarital affair with a woman not his wife and was losing his family at the time and I remember he said something to me he said well I just know that God has a plan well let me tell you something folks I had to tell that brother what I'm fixing to tell you it's not God's plan that you do what's bad and face suffering that's not what God wants now, can God use those things? Absolutely. Does He use those things? Absolutely. But that's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to live in a way pleasing unto the Lord so that you might be a light in this world, point others to Jesus, and experience the blessing of God. That, that's God's plan for you. But many times, we can and do face suffering not because we've stood for that which is good, but because we've done that which is bad, that which is contrary to God's truth. That's not called persecution, that's called punishment. <laughs> and for the child of God, we face punishment because we have a loving Heavenly Father. Let, let me prove this to you. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 4, and let's look down, verse number 14. 1 Peter chapter 4 the 14th verse now this verse is here for a reason I believe some of these people that Peter was writing to was suffering as a Christian because they had done some bad things and so he gives them some advice that we need to take heed to listen to what it says Let's start with verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange. So if he's talking to the beloved, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church, speaking to the uh, born-again believers, to those inside the body of Christ. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. What does it mean to be partakers of Christ's sufferings? It means that we suffer as Jesus did, why did Jesus suffer? Jesus suffered because he stood for that which is right. He was persecuted. So that's what he's talking about here in verses 12 and 13. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now look at verse 14. He switches gears a little bit. And he says, if ye be, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Look at verse 15. He gives us some, some great words of wisdom here. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters." He said, we should not be suffering because we're doing bad things, things contrary to God's will. That's not God's plan for us. Verse 16 says, Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on uh, his behalf. So I'm telling you, many times we can and we do face suffering in our lives because we've disobeyed the Lord, because we've done that contrary to his will. Again, that's called punishment. Hebrews 12 and 6 says that God deals with us as with sons. Let's just go read that. I don't want to misquote it. I want you to see it in your own Bibles. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation, exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So when we um, do that which is contrary to God's will for us, when, when we do that which is bad instead of standing for that which is good, then we face punishment from our Heavenly Father. Now let me ask you something. Why does God punish us? Let me ask you, parents, why do you punish your children? Because we love them, absolutely. I don't like to punish my children. I don't want to punish my children. But because I love them, punishment is necessary when they do that which is wrong. I want them to be doing what is right so that it don't cost them now and later on down the road. Right? So God deals with us the same way. He, the Bible says, scourges every son he receives. He chastens us. He punishes us when we do wrong. And I'm telling you something, for me, when I start facing suffering in my life, and suffering can come in all shapes, forms, and fashion. When when I start facing some suffering in my life, the first thing I do is I ask the Lord, Lord, have I missed you somewhere? God, is there something in my life that is contrary to your will? Are you trying to get my attention in some area? Because I'm telling you, God chastens those that he loves. Just as a father chastens his children. So suffering comes to us for two distinctly different reasons. Sometimes because we stand for that which is right and holy and good. And sometimes because we do that which is bad. (laughs) Even as believers. It happens the good news is God who is sovereign can and does use that which we perceive to be good and that which we perceive to be bad he uses all of that to accomplish his glory and our good isn't that amazing how is God able to do that because he's God He has the power to do all things. When I say He's sovereign, I mean He's in control. God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. God can do what He wants to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. He's God. He has complete control. And the Bible says, He works all things together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. So what's his purpose? He answers that question in verse number 29. Now let me say something to you folks tonight. Uh, We need to focus on this verse focus on this word purpose because I believe that's what 29 is all about. Paul is not trying to start a theological debate and I'm not trying to start a theological debate with verse 29. I'm trying to show you God's purpose for your life. Do you know why you're saved? Why God saved you? He saved you to become like Jesus. Let's look at it. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, watch this now, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what... Is God's destiny what is our destiny what destiny has God given us to be like Jesus ultimately that's what's going to happen for the believer now let me ask you something when did that process start that process began at the moment you trusted in Christ At the moment you trusted in Christ, the Bible says you were born again into the family of God. And then that began the process of you becoming more and more and more like Jesus. We've talked about it several times. Salvation is justification which leads to sanctification which ultimately brings glorification. And that's what Paul talks about here. All right? Now he says, whom he foreknew. Do you realize God's purpose for you began in eternity past? Do you realize that? How is it that we as believers, even though we still face times of suffering, How is it that we don't have to be devastated by those things? Why is it that we don't have to faint at suffering? Because we realize God is in control working all things together for our good. We realize God is at work in this world for His glory and our good so that His perfect purpose might be accomplished in our lives. That began... All the way back in eternity past when God chose us. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, you can go back and look at this. God, the Bible says, chose us before the foundation of the world. And then what did he do? Then he made it our destiny to become like Christ. Now when we talk about predestination, when the Bible talks about Predestination, let me tell you what it says. It says that predestination is for the saved. We are predestined in Christ according to the foreknowledge of God. It never says that anyone is predestined to eternal condemnation. Anyone who faces condemnation, they face it because they choose to reject The finished work of Christ. Let me prove that to you. Go to John chapter 3. Watch this. John chapter 3. Let's start in verse number 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Do you see that? Now we know this is right on the heels of y'all just want to read John 3.16. It's hard to start at John 3.18 and not get back to John 3.16. So let's just start there. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who are the whosoevers? Those who believe. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. But have everlasting life. You mean tell you what that tells me? Salvation is available to whosoever. Whosoever chooses to believe. Now watch. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Everybody see that? So what brings condemnation upon a lost sinner for eternity? Unbelief. Unbelief in Christ. I don't believe. And I don't see where the Bible teaches that anyone is predestined to be eternally condemned. You are condemned when you choose not to believe. We are predestined in Christ, listen to me now, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to become like Jesus. You say, well, Brother Israel, how far does God come in the salvation process, and how far do we come? Well, let's see how far we can answer that, all right? Look what what the Bible tells us. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Let's try to put this Romans chapter 8 verse number 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called you know what Jesus said in John 6 44 John 6 44 says that no man can come unto Jesus come to Jesus except the father draws him God draws you to be saved. I'm telling you, salvation is a work of God the Holy Spirit. God does His part in the drawing. We do our part in the believing. Amen? How far does God come and how far do we come in this process? Anybody who says they have all that figured out is pretty arrogant in my opinion. Nobody has all that figured out. I certainly don't. And I don't think anybody ever will until we are like Christ in our glorified state in in, in heaven. I'm telling you. But I do know this. Salvation is a work of the Spirit when God does His part and then we receive, believe what Jesus has done for us. Go with me to the book, of uh, 2 Thessalonians, just a moment, and look down at chapter number 2, verses 13 and 14. Watch how Paul puts it here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, And let's just start with the 13th verse. He says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief. Everybody see that? Of the truth. God's chosen you from the beginning through his foreknowledge. Amen. But that's not made possible until you believe through belief of the truth. Look at verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So what's Paul saying? God does his part in the calling. We do our part in the believing. Can we reject the call of God? I believe we can. If you remember in the word of God, King Agrippa, when Paul was preaching the gospel to him, he said, Paul, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. I'm telling you as a pastor, I've shared the gospel with people um, across the street and around the world who almost were persuaded to become a child of God, to trust in Jesus as Savior. I I, mean, you could just see God the Holy Spirit working in their heart, working in their life, bringing conviction to them, calling them unto himself. And they chose to reject that. So, Paul is saying, who God foreknew, he called. When he called and we believed, he justifies us. Now, what does justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. He forgives me of my sin. I am washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus that's applied to my heart and life by faith. Now, not only does he justify the believer, those who place their faith in Jesus, again, you remember, the Bible says we are justified by faith. Romans five one. remember us talking about that over and over again? We're going to keep talking about it. That's important. When we believe, we are justified. But let me say something else. We're also glorified. Now, the word glorified, here in Romans chapter 8, when Paul uses it there in uh, uh, verse number 30, is in the past tense. At the moment we believe and are born again into the family of God, By the power of the Holy Spirit, at that moment we are justified, but the Bible says we are also glorified. Now what does it mean to be glorified? To be glorified means that we will be in our final state as believers, be just like Jesus. Let me tell you what I believe Paul is saying. I believe he's saying in Romans chapter 8 the same things he said in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says that we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Our salvation is so complete in Christ that God already sees us as being glorified with His Son. So guess what? I no longer have to fear what happens in this world. I no longer have to worry what's going on in this world. I don't don't live in devastation over what's happening. Let me tell you why. Because I know I am in Christ because I've trusted in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. And the Bible says I'm already glorified and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Isn't that good news? And that's what... Brings us to this last freedom that Paul outlines for us in the rest of Romans 8. We are free from fear because there's no separation for the child of God. We're free of judgment, there's no condemnation. We're free from defeat, there's no obligation to the flesh. We're free of worry. There's no devastation to the child of God who realizes we have the blessed hope of eternal life, a prayer partner in the Holy Spirit, and the perfect plan and purpose of God being worked out in our life for God's glory and our good. But there is absolutely, we have freedom from fear as a child of God because there's no separation from Him no matter what we face. We'll talk about that next week. We ain't got time to do it tonight. But I'm telling you, man, man, When you are in Jesus, all the benefits of the Father come to you because, listen to me now, you love the Son and you've received His work. Amen? Paul begins asking these questions. If all this is true, if God be for us, Who can be against us? We'll answer those questions next week.